This is Lori Nannan. Welcome to the Canine Education for Humans podcast. On this episode, I'll be talking with Gene Donaldson, founder of the Academy for Dog Trainers, and my boss, mentor, and friend. Sit back and enjoy as Gene and I discuss all things dog training. Thanks so much for being here, Gene. I'm really excited to talk to you about the Academy, its growth, and how it's changed along the way. And I feel like that's a good place to start because the Academy is now been around for 20 years. This year's we're, we're celebrating 20 years of the Academy for Dog Trainers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what changes have been made along the way? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the big ones. The, the two biggest ones are when we went from a live brick and mortar program and our principal program at that time was six weeks full time uh, to the current incarnation, which is done online. So all the practical coaching is done by a video upload, which has turned out to be such a great tool. Yeah. Um, and uh, and made it longer. Uh, so then we extended it from, we thought, we estimated that it would probably take people a year or so, ended up taking people more like two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after collecting enough data, we made another big change, which is that we set a structure in place where people would move through from level to level uh, and then graduate at the end of two years. So those are the two big ones. Yeah, so um, just to give a little perspective. I am a post brick and mortar grad, but pre-levels grad. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm one of the early uh, students who went through the program um, and I guess informed that the, the, the program really is a two-year program, right? Because it, I finished up just under two years. Yes. Um, and so us, the, those of us who uh, graduated early on were sort of like the beta testers, I guess, uh, of, you know, how long yep. can we expect that the course is going to take people? And, you know, two years with a levels program um, is really genius because there is so much meat to everything that we learn. Yeah. Uh, but I was wondering what you think the biggest benefit of the levels program is. I think that, well, for there's a couple of things. From one angle, it gives people structure. It gives people concrete deadlines. So before we did the levels, when we weren't sure, we had done beta testers in the course, but they were all pro trainers. They kind of sailed through, and they didn't have the evaluation component as the, the real mm-hmm. students did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was tough for us to know, okay, so how long is this going to take? We didn't want to limit it until we had an idea. So when you were in sort of that data gathering phase um, and then the levels, I think what it does is for one thing, people work better uh, uh, with deadlines. Yeah, for sure. No way around it. Um, uh, You know, it's almost like a human universal. Uh, And it chunks up the information into sensible sort of topics. So early on, so the first level when they're freshmen, they're dealing a great deal with animal learning theory, understanding that understanding dog training technique, we're perfecting their ability to to train dogs to understand how training works. Um, Then they move on, they get a course in animal behavior, in behavior problem, the application of the animal learning to behavior mod and so on. Then they move on to topics like fear, aggression, uh, how to counsel, how to do follow-ups, sort of all the nuts and bolts of how all that theory then gets put into practice. So by the end of the program, 
um, they've come at sort of, you know, if you like this, you know, similar information from many different directions and it makes sense. So it progresses from more theoretical to more practical, very much the way um, a, becoming a physician does, where you start off with stuff like gross anatomy and physiology, and then you end up doing stuff like suturing people and surgeries and, um, you know, treating kidney disease. Yeah. And I think that um, it, it's such a cool thing to watch students as they progress because yeah that so uh uh just so people are clear um in addition to running laurinana.com i also work part-time for the academy which is the um part at which uh i said at the beginning jean is my boss she's my boss at the academy um the way that students um have aha moments as they go through the course the way it's laid out is really fantastic right and so yes. You know, they, they get to junior level and they learn something new, but they recall information from freshman or sophomore level that sort of feeds in and soli helps solidify their new knowledge. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, many people have described, I think, such an apt metaphor of like doing a jigsaw puzzle where you sort of, you know, at first you have sort of an outline and then you have some pieces. And then when you get to the more applied stuff and you're starting to put it into practice and bring in the counseling, bring in the triage, et cetera, that you, that's when they start to have, like you say, in junior and senior level, the big ahas. Mm -hmm. Oh, so that's why this puzzle piece that I learned before, that's where it fits into the big picture um, and they get more and more granular information on the application of principles. And, and that is really, you know, I mean, anybody who's in any kind of teaching capacity, one of the big reinforcers for us is people having aha moments. And yeah. that is something that we, we do strive to, to make sure people have. Yeah, it's a, it's a really um, obviously brilliant way to lay out a program. And, and you know, from a, an observer, observer standpoint, a really nice thing to see happen for students mm -hmm. along the way. Yeah. Um, and so along those lines, um, I'm wondering, and, you know, obviously, I think we both have a bit of a bias here, but what impact do you think having an academy education has on our industry? I mean, I, I dare say, I mean, and I don't want to over, you know, get ahead of my skis, but I think it's pretty profound. Um, and let me explain what I mean. So in our industry, um, which is not regulated, there are kind of, you know, if you want to divide it into uh, force trainers and force free trainers. So force trainers would be anybody who uses aversives, whether they also use non-aversive means are so-called balanced or, or use exclusively aversive. So, you know, I, people who are kind of force heads. One thing about them is that they can, they offer at least, sometimes they are and sometimes they're not, but they certainly make a lot of noise about being fast. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that for, for one thing, it's unethical what they do. There's right. no justification for the use of aversives when non-aversive means can get the job done. And the other thing is that the cure is often worse than the disease. So if a right. dog presents with a nuisance problem even if they can quickly you know decapitate that animal um, and you know get rid of the problem you often end up with fear or aggression which right. is you know far from you know from frying pan into the flames um, now the force free movement is kind of populated by a couple of different groups when I when I look out there and I see non-academy 
trainers. Um, and there are some that are absolutely, you know, it's, it's better. So what, what you'll often see in groups is, well, at least, you know, so-and-so is not really very skilled, but at least they're not using force. So, you know, it's harmless unless they don't get the job done, in which right. case people then, you know, get a bad idea about force-free training. They end up going to force trainers. Right. So sometimes those people are harmless, but untrained, and it results in this kind of inexpert conception and execution, you know, sort of like, you know, they say, oh, you know, train the dog to do an alternative behavior which is kind of like teaching people surgery by saying take out the diseased bit and get there you're a surgeon it's you know there's an awful lot more granularity than that Um, or you have this other group of force-free trainers who are paralyzed so they're they've had the wrong training so they've perhaps been hyper trained but in sort of the wrong stuff in my opinion so they they resort because they're not sure what to do they resort to this kind of hyper diagnostics talk they talk it to death they refer to veterinary behaviorists they have this kind of pretend clinical bias where they just you know they 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 over frown they don't get the job done once again now our grads by contrast i would say because they are granularly trained they're trained in field tested evidence-based standard operating procedures in diagnostics, triage, behavior mod counseling. And then we supervise them early on in their right. practices to make sure that they're getting fluent at execution. Uh, they do, they, they, they get the job done. Um, and, it, and I recognize that getting training people this way, you know, taking, you know, big chunk of their time for two years is a much more involved model of preparing practitioners. But I think it's now starting to bear fruit insofar as our people have now got the reputation of these are the ones who can get the job done. They can do it efficiently and they can do it without aversive stimuli. So, you know, I'm hoping that that becomes the standard, that it's not good enough anymore to say, oh, well, I'm force free or I've got, you know, X, Y, Z credentials that you can actually get stuff done. Yeah. And I think, you know, this kind of goes back to the question that we were just going over is that the, the benefit of the levels program and how knowledge builds. Um, And how being in a program that takes place over a longer period of time where you're not just sort of given, you know, materials and then thrown out into the world after, you know, two weeks or six weeks, um, or in some cases, even six months. I mean, I went through a program in the early 2000s that took me about six months and I thought I knew what I, everything I needed to know. And boy, I know it. Wrong, you know, yes. Like, yeah, we, um, we get we have I mean, a huge proportion of our applicants are people who have they're in our kind of call them searchers. They really want to get their jobs done. And they do all I mean, there are, are all manner of educational opportunities out there and they've done books and seminars and programs and so on. Um, but they really are not quite yet equipped to do their job and they finally find their way to us. Um, yeah. and, and I think that we can give them that. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, obviously a tremendous part of that is the education, um, but the other big part of it is the community yeah. um, of people who have all been taught the same way, right? Yes. So yes. people yes. Who, who are also going to um, go through with you and, you know, support you on cases using yeah. standard operating procedures and um, coming from the same point of view because you've yeah. all learned the same stuff that's relevant to. That's right. Uh, so that, yeah, the case. level of, the level of discussion can be so much higher because everybody, right. everybody, we're all speaking the same language. We all have right. the same training. We don't have this kind of regressive, you know, where, where you have somebody who's purporting to be a professional who's, you know, sending the discussion back to the, the iron age. Right. I mean, I think one of, one of my favorite parts going through the academy was, um, you know, you, you, the, 
give us paragraphs or write-ups just full of red herrings yeah and you know crossing them out like this is not relevant this yes. is not relevant this is not relevant let's get to the nitty-gritty the meat yes. of this issue so that we can actually help these people that's right it, it, yeah i mean the the i mean what you call red herrings is i mean what a, it, it's so rife in our yeah. industry of of people who chase red herrings so they're yeah. they're really they're asking the wrong questions and then answering them badly right but i mean you know i it's it's i i think you might have already said this i, I feel like it's kind of it's it's hard to fault people um because right. of the way our, our industry has sort of been cobbled together quite right um, yeah. but i feel like uh you know the 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 way that a program like the academy is set up is you know, putting us in much better, giving up, putting us a much better footing for the future, which is fantastic. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so that sort of leads me to my next question um, is, you know, what do you think the Academy and its members bring to the educational table uh, that didn't exist before, or maybe just wasn't done um, as well or as often as we're able to do it now? They, I mean, they bring sort of this, these two sort of barrels of um, a very ethical, a very, uh, you know, I, I, there's no other way to put it than ethical, very ethical means. So they treat clients well yeah. and professionally, yeah. and they treat dogs without aversives and without sort of compromising and saying, well, if all else fails, I'm going to you know, right. use X. They just don't have to. Yeah. Um, and which is, I mean, it's a whole other discussion, but that they, they do that. And, but they don't sacrifice efficiency. Like you just said, they avoid red herrings. They know how to tackle a case. Um, the, the, the issue out there is that dog owners are not trainers. They don't have this limitless resource of time and energy and right. ability to wade through badly written reports they you know or for the trainer to kind of stumble around and go through all manner of stuff that's not going to work um they they want fast relief it doesn't mean that they love their dogs anymore the fact that they don't have kind of this you know infinity patience that 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 um trainers have uh, and so we do need to sort of you know face that fact and i think it's possible to get jobs done in a, in a in a fast efficient relieving kind of way for owners so that they're not experiencing frustration provided we don't fall for you know fads that would have us train in an inefficient manner um fads that would have us do harmful practices because you know somebody you know read something that was clickbait um that's another thing that you know we should yeah. mention is that well, our practitioners get training in critical thinking um not just you know because it's something that general education in this country lacks a little bit, but also because it's so necessary because of the very uneven quality of information right. in the dog training universe. People have got to get good at saying just because it's in a magazine article online, somebody said it and they've got, you know, X, Y, Z credentials doesn't mean it's any good. It might be complete rubbish, partial rubbish or a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, that's, you know, along those same lines, right? So, you know, we're, we're, we have these students that get, you know, a stellar education, they become really, really good practitioners, and then guess what, they're really, really in high demand. Yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. can't always fulfill um what the needs are in their community yeah. and that, so is, that is kind of i mean we kind of there there is a problem there because i mean our program takes two years to complete we really don't want our people out there monkeying about right. until they're competent um and that's a longer 
uh, that's a longer development process has as then people have expected to become a dog trainer. Uh, and that means that we can't quickly churn out, you know, we can't churn out practitioners every, you know, three months or six right. months or whatever. Right. Um, but I think one of the things that's, you know, in part technology has helped us with, and in part just, you know, our grads and their uh, ingenuity is, um, you know, finding other outlets through which, they're able to help people who need it yes. um, when they just don't have the space on their calendar to be meet, able to meet them all for private sessions. Yeah. Uh, like for instance, this past weekend, uh, Lisa Skavinsky, who runs Dog Educated in um, uh, Rochester, New York, just did a, a talk on fear and aggression at her, um, they, she calls it her dojo, uh, her training <laughs> facility, um, and which gave her the opportunity to you know, reach members of her community that need help with their dogs, that's right. and just give them information to you know help them be able to understand what what's happening. Right. Um, instead, instead of case by case by case, right. I mean, a lot of those people are going to be pre-prepped um, and or able to put in you know put into effect um, prevention. Right. Right. And so, you know, I think that there's, um, you know, and in, in addition, we have lots of people who are doing lots of writing. Um, there's lots of ways that the Academy is kind of contributing to the conversation, sort of helping change the, the tide and move the direction, uh, move dog training in the direction we want it to go. Um, and one of the other things that I think is really amazing, obviously, because I run an online business, um, is that technology has just given us the ability to reach so many more people. Um, and we both created online courses for the public. Yep. Uh, yours is called Dog Training 101, and it's available through the dog, uh, through the great courses. What prompted you to want to be able to do an online dog training course like that? Well, it's partly exactly what you just said, which was that, you know, we're populating the world with competent practitioners, but um, we can't do so with, unless we compromise the quality of our mm -hmm. program, which we're not prepared to do. Um, it's going to be a slow and, and detailed process to do that. And in the meantime, as you say, our, our grads are inundated. Um, and there are even places where there's not an academy grad for right. you know, miles or an entire right. state or entire country. And so, you know, there are some gaps. So one of the great things that's happened is, of course, remote training that people are now, yes. some people are able to do sort of remote counseling, which is so far yeah. proving to be a really effective model. And the other thing is stuff like laurinannon.com, where people can get really good quality um, uh, instruction uh, and feel confident that they're not getting, you know, that mixed bag or the rubbish. Uh, and that that's what the impetus was for the great courses that when they initially uh, recruited me, I said, no, it's not my thing. I, you know, I, I train trainers. And it's, a, you know, about hours in the day and allocation of resources. Um, but, you know, uh, they, as I talked to them, um, it became really apparent that they were prepared to do a really good job and that I would have full content control. Mm -hmm. um, and so I decided to, to take the plunge um and it's something that's sort of out there and you know when they go on sale they're really very affordable. oh my gosh it's, it's such a yeah. deal yeah yeah that's right um and and i have done a bunch of great courses myself man i'm a buff on a few you know sort of non-dog topics and i've you know i've used their their stuff a lot and i've always been really impressed both with the production values and with the quality of the instruction they really are kind of careful about mm -hmm. how they do things um and so i decided to do it and it is i mean i'm, I, I'm glad i mean it's a huge amount of labor but i'm, I'm glad that i did it yeah, I mean, I feel like, um, you know, there's there's lots of reasons to, um, you know, continue to utilize technology to help us spread the word, you know, part is, in part because, you know, qualified trainers may be uh, overextended and not be able to help people. 
um, you know, one-on-one. So we provide them with a resource to be able to um, at least get people started. Right. Um, and lots of people live in places where they just don't have access. That's to right. Um, yeah. And the affordability, um, yeah. you know, makes it sort of a, a, a no-brainer. I sign up for as many things as I can. I know. Um, I know when they just, go on sale, I go crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, quality stuff. Yeah, you know, the 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 wanting to learn and then the yeah. ability to, um, uh, you know, help help dogs in the process. Uh, you know, even if it's just one person and their dog is really, it's tremendous to me. I just That's find right. it incredibly rewarding. I know. Um, so, just to wrap things up, Jean. Um, what, what do you see, what does the future hold for you professionally through the Academy? Otherwise, any big things on the horizon for you? Well, I mean, I know it's not very sexy, but you know, more of the same, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm going to keep coaching students and coaching grads and coaching cases and, and honing content and uh, making sure that we continue to populate the world with, with competent trainers. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm bec- I've become a very committed proponent of long form education yeah. and, and very, uh, you know, increasingly worried about short form education. Yep. So people who do, you know, a one week course or a two day seminar or have read a bunch of books and, right. and off you go. Uh, I really, I'm just, you know, I think for only for a very small minority of people does that prepare them even a little bit to do this job because our job is just not easy Um, and so uh, you know pretty much all my energy is taken up in honing and teaching in this this long form program that we have and I, I I think that's you know more than valid and plenty sexy because yeah um, yeah it's our yeah it's our thing you know it's not sort of you know I know that you know um that people are always looking and I would say to people who are looking for you know say our own grads who are looking for ah, oh, but I want to keep learning I would say you know don't, don't then just sort of immerse yourself in in poor quality content do something like the great courses you know like right. don't don't uh, you know you don't have to do dogs you can do this courses in science and history right, and right. all kinds of stuff where you can even learn about I mean just watch how good professors explain subject matter i mean there's always sort of stuff to be had um there's some really really very cool uh content there um and by the way i mean just full disclosure i don't get any money from them i just i'm just a fan and and i think it's just it's good quality education (laughs) the great courses does not pay me just for saying the great no (laughs) no that's right i don't get anything for for plugging them oh my goodness no they they absolutely have great great content i've done a couple of courses on there as well um well, thank you so much, Gene. I can't thank you enough for, you know, just everything that you've done for me over the past eight years now. We've known each other eight years, which is crazy. Um, and it is crazy. For, you know, being a part of my life, uh, both personally and professionally. Um, and uh, I'm really grateful that we got the chance to sit down today. And I know that people will really love uh, hearing your thoughts on, you know, education and the importance of education uh, in dogs and the importance of competent training for dogs as well. If you're interested in learning more about Jean's online course, visit thegreatcourses.com and search for Dog Training 101. Thanks so much to Jean for taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to dig in and talk all things Academy for Dog Trainers and the dog training industry.
You've been listening to the Canine Education for Humans podcast. This is Lori Nannan. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time. If you've got a topic that you'd like us to cover, please email us at info at and pitch your idea.